Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Well, welcome to Talking Comics, episode 252. I'm your host, Mara Wood, and I'm here with Bob Ryer. Yay! Steve Say. What, what? And Joey Percino. Yay! What, what? (laughs) (laughs) Mm, It's a delay, again. No. (laughs) (laughs) We've been having audio problems, but we're going to, we will persevere. We will get this show out, and you guys will hear us talk about comics. And damn to t- determined to do this so yes this is what our fifth go at this uh, night yeah it's, at least i don't have enough beer to get me through this night now <laughs> oh my <laughs> it's okay what do you it's like a- to but the fans the fans need it they need it they do they do um what were you gonna say steve what do you uh normally drink as far as beer bar i'm curious well i'm an apple ale kind of girl Ah. And so tonight I've got Red's Ginger Apple Ale. Ooh. Wow. Sounds tasty. It's better than like straight ginger beer, um, but still has like that nice ginger flavor to it. And then I have um, hard cherry cola in the fridge for later. Ooh. So, yeah. Sounds like a party in the Woodhouse. It is. It's a a Thor party because we're reading Simonson's Thor and I'm only halfway through. It is about 500 issues. I mean, it is a lot. It is killing me. <laughs> it's yeah, all good, though. Just to lift it. Just to carry it. How do you even want to talk about it after reading so much? How, how do you talk my, about like? Yeah, like, I would just throw my hands up in the air and be like, I'm done. That's it. We're not even doing the podcast. <laughs> it was good. It was it was yeah. good. Beta Ray Bill was there. Yeah, yeah I got to yeah. formulate some, like, actual thoughts about Thor. But right now, like I said, I'm halfway through the run. Um, and I gotta, I gotta get, it's going to be late night. So, but, uh, the longest, is that the longest run you guys have done so far? I think secret six was, I think secret six had like, cause we did all of Gail Simone's stuff and there were a couple mini series and then the main series. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was the longest oh. one. So. But it's not. It's not As bad. opposed to the episode, I got to be. Yeah, I got to do an episode where we did basically ten issues. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Durango. Yeah. And, uh, where was your longest episode? Right. Uh, yes, time wise, it was. <laughs> it was a good like two and a half hours or something like that. But it was all good conversation. It was all good. Yes, we got to get um, Joey and Steve on soon. Yeah. Because we're yeah. Oh, God. planning out our, our next year. Of, of content what we're going to do there I know we're hoping we're hoping Melissa Megan will come on around Halloween time for Lock and Key or, perfect yeah and uh, got another one planned for um, an 
X-Men book later that I'm really fond of. Um, but yeah, too, if you start thinking of a, a legendary run you'd like to do, that is like, I'm going to cap it at like 50, 50 issues. <laughs> if it's over 50 well, issues. I'll, so like... I'll cap it at something a little more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked Civil War 1. Just kidding. <laughs> well, like, like Matt and I are talking about it. I'm like, like Joey's really into Captain America. And he goes, we cannot do Brubaker's Captain America. It's only like. A hundred? <laughs> yeah. Only. You could only. do Steranko's Stur- Captain America. It's three. Well, I, think I wouldn't the- mind doing something totally fresh. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So if there's been something on your to-read list, start, th- start thinking now. And then, I have and one then to throw out there yeah. for, for the movement. Ah, uh, yeah. 12-issue movement. Lots of political content there, too. Mm. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. Yeah, because mm. you guys are going to do clean room, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, can't wait. Such a creepy book. Ugh. Ooh, have you done uh, Sweet Tooth, Mara? No, I read the first volume, but oh, I, that I might not be thought... one we could do. Yeah, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, because, that's a good one. Because um, we do need to branch out more. We've done a few indie and you know non DC Marvel stuff, but um, it. The show typically trends towards superhero stories. Well, yeah. Right. But, uh, I mean, we just did Ex Machina. So that's, you know. Which is a great book. Oh, my gosh. That was, it was really eye opening. I remember the end to that first issue or like that big reveal of, yeah. you know. And I was just, I just remember just my jaw dropping uh, <laughs> seeing that. Yeah. And it was, it was relatively re- recent to 9 yeah, 11, too. 2004 when yeah. that first issue came out. So that I just remember being shocked by that that moment. Okay. Um, Comic did its job. Yeah, dude. Yeah. You're still talking about it. You're still thinking about it. <laughs> Not still talking about Brian K. Bond. He's still, still floating yeah. around. <laughs> so you guys went to that concert you were talking about last, last week, right? Yeah, rock. Indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, we... Uh, we were invited. Well, it's kind of funny how the way it worked out. I made everybody purchase tickets and then found out that I had a plus one when I walked through the door. Uh, what? You didn't tell I know. Me I know. And I didn't tell my friend Chris either. And he just looked at me. and He's like, dude, I'm like, I didn't know. I didn't know until just now on the podcast to all of our yeah. listeners. I just found out. So if I'm a little antagonistic tonight, uh, that's why. Could have spent Steve, that money I hate comics. your book. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Saturday night, uh, we ventured into, I ventured into, uh, Greenwich Village, New York, Manhattan, and, uh, went to La Poisson Rouge, which is a nightclub that, uh, hosts both concerts and was it transsexual bingo night? Sweet. I believe. That was in the other room. Yeah. Yeah. That was happening, I think, upstairs. Uh, and it sounded like they were having a damn good time. They from were. From what I heard. So, um, we went to go see a uh, performance from a um, band called Rituals of Mine. They were the opener for uh, the main act, which was the album Leaf. And uh, so I've been friends, just full disclosure, I've been friends with uh, Tara and Danny, who are make up the two parts of uh, Rituals of Mine, used to be called Sister Crayon. And uh, for this tour in particular, they've added a third member by the name of Adam Pierce uh, performing on drums. Now... 
what kind of music they are. I think I tried explaining them last time, but it's like it's hip hop. It's uh, like just atmospheric alternative, just alternative rock and 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 trip hop and glitch rock and just all these all these weird little things that you try to put into musical genres. Uh, they mix them all up really, really well to create this just powerful powerful sound uh their newest album is called devoted it comes out september 30th from uh warner brothers records they were just signed they just got off of doing a tour with the deftones uh they're currently touring with the album leaf and then promptly after that they will be touring with tricky uh for his new it's, it's called like the skilled skilled mechanisms tour or something like that and uh so we went to la poisson rouge and uh I got there, had a little lunch with my friend Chris, and then got to hang out a little bit outside the venue, ran into Tara. She put me on the list, and we got in there, and they started playing, and whoa. Like, I've been I've been seeing them play for the better part. I've known them for six years, and this is probably the fifth time that I've seen them live. And it's really amazing to watch a band evolve over the years and hear their sound just kind of grow as the band grows and knowing like former band members and kind of the fallouts that they've had uh, throughout the years to see them come back and, and to return to the stage, like so triumphantly with such a tight, tight set of songs to present to new ears. And uh, you know, a lot of what goes on with uh, live musical performances, it's a lot of the band, but it's also a lot of the back end. It's a lot of like the house. And so whoever's working the boards is really part of the performance as well. And when you have a label like Warner Brothers, you know, you've got some people that know their stuff. And uh, whoever was working the board that night really knew this band and really knew how to mix them up and make them sound killer. So we, killer too. Uh, yeah, we got a we got a spot right at the front of the stage. And uh, one of the things about Tara when she's performing is um, I've known a lot of musicians that have um, social anxieties, but they perform regardless of those anxieties. The performance is kind of this cathartic like exorcism of emotions for them. And it's like it's therapy. And one of the things that Tara does is uh, if she has friends in the audience, she focuses on them and uses them kind of like an anchor when she she performs and one of the things you get when you're one of those people which i evidently was saturday night is you get a lot of attention paid toward you and you get to become kind of a part of the show and um i mean you could ask joey i don't know how many times she came up to me and we were like forehead to forehead while she was singing into the microphone and doing her thing and freaking out and her kind of like um, I don't want to say caressing because that sounds kind of weird, but just her like running her hand along the bottom of my face, like tracing my jawline and like singing into my like, like eyes on eyes and just really a passionate, passionate performance. You're laughing. Why are you laughing? <laughs> you were there. I'm not laughing. I was sitting in my chair and it creaked. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, I thought you blew was... your nose. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> But, um, no, but Steve's totally right, man. She was she Tara was super fierce, and like, there's several moments, and I got some pictures and some video of just the connection that she had with with Steve uh, right on the front row, but also you know, 
people in the audience. She talked a lot about kind of working the vibe of the room and the house was great. And I think it just like everyone had an awesome time. And I, I don't have the history with the band that Steve had. Steve was just like, hey, you want to come to LPR and see the show? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I showed up. <laughs> I love the venue. I've seen several shows there. Um, and uh, I'm so glad I did, dude. It was like – it was like a visceral experience. I think that was the word that we used. The way that that music just hits you in the gut. And she's just such a phenomenal vocalist. It was something like so new for me. Um, totally bought the CD. That's how mm-hmm. you know I liked it. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, Tara has a real way of kind of pulling pulling herself open. And the, the whole band, too. I don't want to discredit Danny. She is a very much a huge, huge part of the percussion and part of the music portion of that band. Um, but visually there's something to see. Tara has this incredible energy that she's just this cyclone on stage and she, she runs and she spins and she jumps and she clutches her chest and she kind of lets notes ring out and pulls the microphone away from herself. And you can still hear her in the back of the room that it's almost got this like operatic quality to it. And, uh, just really honest honest to goodness uh music that uh if you give them a chance um, i'm sure if that's your thing uh you'll definitely pick up what they're they're putting down they're they're really talented people drummer was punching the cymbals instead of using sticks that's how you know i haven't heard like i've seen them in all different iterations i've seen them with guitar players bass players other drummers and um it was been, it'd been a while since i saw them with a with a like a live drummer and hearing him smash down on those drums lending to the percussion that danny's already making was really something cool and i think he adds a lot of like lushness to the music and, and uh if you guys want to check out i wrote a write-up uh, full review of the show uh over on the site so uh, just go to talkingcomicbooks.com and check that out. There's pictures of me and Joey. There's pictures of me and Tara. There's pictures of them playing live. Uh, I did not cover the album leaf portion of the show because in all honesty, we left about a half hour into their set. It wasn't that I wasn't digging on it. I just like the night had kind of the, the yeah, like the high point of the night had obviously happened. And uh, it's a real good thing that we got out when we did because right after we left is when all of the uh, bombing nonsense happened yeah. in Chelsea. Oh, <laughs> and uh, so on our way yeah, out dude. is when the uh, city started to get choked up with, uh, you know, emergency traffic and uh, things of that nature. The whole way home, we were seeing emergency vehicles and didn't know until we were about halfway back onto the island when we were looking on our phones and saw what had happened. And uh, thank goodness that, you know, I mean, I. I know people were hurt, and I wish them a speedy recovery. But thank goodness nobody was killed, yeah. and that yeah. the uh, the second bomb never went off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of music, wow. oh, one I... of the books that we're covering later in the show is Doom Patrol number one. Yeah. yeah. So you know, just a, it all comes together. It all comes together. And now you, Mar, you got some interesting news this week. Yeah, yeah. I guess I should. I almost forgot about it. Thank you, Bob. No um, problem. So. I, if you've been following me on Twitter, you've been seeing like I've been talking a lot about Wonder Woman. If you've been listening to the show, you know I've been talking a lot about <laughs> Wonder Woman. Um, been living my life trying to be Wonder Woman. Um, that will continue tonight. It will continue. <laughs> <laughs> but part of the reason is, um, you know, if you've if you've listened to the show and you've you've known me for a little bit, you know that I write book chapters for um, a series of books published by Sterling 
which is a Barnes and Noble publisher about different psychological concepts found in geek culture or geek things. I've done um, some Walking Dead, some Star Wars, some Captain America, Iron Man. Um, I've done some editing for um, some of the other books, looking over things. And the next one that's been announced on Amazon, so you can pre-order it now, is Wonder Woman and Psychology. Woohoo! So this is this is one I'm real proud of because I'm officially I'm listed on the cover as a, a co-editor, um, and of right now we're about 21 chapters ish, and I've got about six of them that I wrote myself. What, so, so, Doctor Mara? Yeah. So if you buy it, you get a good chunk of Mara thoughts. Um, <laughs> you should definitely buy it on Amazon. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, and Barnes & Noble will have it a little bit earlier because it is, you know, one of their publishers. Um, but you can pre-order it yeah, on Amazon. And... You should buy it on Amazon. It's Wonder Woman. Exactly. <laughs> it's a pun. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I got you, Bob. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Skip it. So <laughs> I, was, I was doing a count of how many Wonder Woman comics I've read so far this year, and it's 306? Good God. Or 307. What? Good goddess. And, 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 yes. <laughs> Which gets you about a third of the way through the run. <laughs> I know. I know. I was I was sitting there thinking like, okay, I still have to get through Robert Kaniger. Ugh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I have to finish out uh, the 90s. I, didn't, I have not. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> and I need to go back and revisit the Phil Jimenez era because... Those are um, very good. Those, those are. But when I was writing yeah. chapters, I was looking for very specific issues of his run. So I didn't read the full thing. So I'm, I was making lists of where I need to plug back in and, and jump in there. So and we yeah. were both reading number two today yes. from 1943. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's a great issue. I, I love it. It's so funny. Um, it's got a lot of those early Marston concepts of masculinity and female superiority and, mm-hmm. um, the mythology aspect of it and there's some spanking in it yes. there there is some, some punishment for uh, being a naughty oriental Amazon. dancer yes <laughs> yes i'm out i'm it's out got, it's got uh. racism it's got <laughs> it's got lots of etta candy and friendship too it's got yes. good stuff it's got good stuff and it's a product of its time and that's why it's important to read yes because history that, is really important and it is in Archives Number 2. Mm-hmm. It, I believe that issue was in Wonder Woman, The War Years that Roy Thomas put out fairly recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I think it's somewhere else, and I'm not remembering. <laughs> is it in one of the uh, Chronicles? I think the Chronicles should be early enough that they cover it. Yeah, it might be in the third Chronicles. Yeah. And I think there yeah. is actually a Wonder Woman, The War Era. Is that the one you're talking about? Yep. 1941 okay. to 1945. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ever get a chance to read those old 40s Wonder Woman comics, like you got to do it. They're just mm-hmm. they're they're so fun. Um and again, it's that history aspect of it that's that's really drawing me in and then reading about Marston's theory of human emotions and reading his interviews and things like that and seeing where his his perspective comes from. I mean, like that's, that's why comics are so cool because they are a product of your of your history and, and yeah. culture and being able to tie it to both psychology and and history and moving all those things together with one character. Like, ah, man, I had a great summer working on this book. So, yes. 
Sound, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'll probably Congratulations. Talk about thanks. Thanks. I'll probably talk yeah. about it more and more as we get closer and, and closer. But um, right now I've, I've got a chapter I wrote about child development. So looking at some of those wonder taught years, oh. and the wonder girl years, uh, one about role models. So, you know, wonder girl, Donna Troy and Cassie Sandsmark. Um, nice. One about feminist psychology, which is a, a thing most people don't know about. Um, doing one on disc theory, which is Marston's um, theory of dominance, inducement, submission, and compliance. Um, which so is still used today. It's been still, slightly altered, but uh, they changed some of still, the words. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I actually have it printed out somewhere. It's in, it's in the Wonder Woman box that I can't reach right now. But yeah. it, uh, companies still use it today in term in trying to hire people. Yes, they run the same test to try to see if there'll be teamwork between. People, it's across the letters. Is this how is how it works, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they they've got it set up differently than he than he initially conceived it, but he laid the theory. He laid the foundation for this theory that's used today. So, um, but if you know if you like Wonder Woman, if you've liked um, some of the other books from this publisher, like the Captain America versus Iron Man and, and things like that, it's very much in the same vein. Only this one has more history in it and more focus on the people who made the the creations and by that i mean marston elizabeth marston and olive byrne so. yeah yeah it feels nice to be able to talk about mm -hmm. it now <laughs> so yeah it's Good had to deal. be hush hush until until recently until officially announced well on on that note let's talk some more about comics let's uh let's go with bob and his lightning round are you ready? Good oak. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm not ready. Okay. Now I am. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I want to end this on a high note, so I'm going to call this segment The Bad and the Beautiful after that great old movie with Kirk Douglas. So first up <laughs> is Batgirl and Birds of Prey number two by Julia and Shauna Benson and Claire Rowe. Believe me, I want to love this series, but it's got an angry vibe. Uh, the on-the-nose dialogue that seems the same no matter who's talking, it just has me really thinking I'm going to exit the theater unless my heart softens, which makes me very, very sad. Then there's Black Panther number six, which isn't bad, but kind of meandering, which would be okay, I guess, but it got off to such a fabulous start. The plot is just not as advanced as far as I would have liked. There's also what appears to be some... Uh, retconning to the classic Wakanda, which by Stan and Jack and the other old-timers out there, is a country that had never been conquered and never affected by colonialism or white imperialism. And there's some stuff in here that I'm not sure yet. So I'm on the edge, but I'm still going to hang in with that. Uh, much different opinion of Scarlet Witch Number 10 by James Robinson and Kay Zama, a lyrical, engaging mystery set in Kyoto that has Wanda investigating the murder of Hiroshi Takaka, and he's the mystic A.O. master. I know this series really flies under a lot of readers' radar, and that's a real shame because this book has been great from day one. Another underappreciated series of stories, at least based on sales, it's Mockingbird by Chelsea Kane and Kate Niemzek, and issue number seven also has a mysterious death. This one, it's during a nerd cruise, which ends up... Related to the trial of Hawkeye, but but where he, the trip takes us is to the Bermuda Triangle, as well as a D and D grouping, 
and the possible return of an evil man from Bobby's past. Mm. Gotham Academy second semester number one is story by the whole original crew of Fletcher, uh, Becky Cloonan, Carl Kershaw, winning art by Adam Archer. Story is set during the holiday break and the academy is empty of students except for Olive and a new transfer, the rebellious Amy, was looking to make things a little different around here. Because let's be a little rebellious, obviously. Things go awry while Olive is showing, giving Amy the cook's tour and not in the usual academy way. Of course, Lady Killer 2, number two by Joel Jones, was brilliant as Josie Schuler finds herself with all sorts of new business opportunities in Cocoa Beach. And she gets to play bingo, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. Finally, a, yeah, finally, A Force Number Nine by Kelly Thompson and Paolo Sequeira. Uh, like it continues along the Civil War sort of stuff, but here, lit with the light of common sense. It's uh, you have some great needed emotionality with that common sense. Singularity has had enough of her friends fighting with each other instead of saving the day and they're just we get a great conversation between dazzler medusa and also another between uh nico and carol yes i hear i know but i'm gonna turn it off they, they put an update on this stupid phone and That's i don't okay. know how to work it for all the iphone people out there the, the two conversations between yeah Dazzler medusa and certainly between nico and carol really encapsulates all that's off the rails with the core themes of the event and her point is about the ends justifying the means. And Carol is sort of brought up a little short by this. It's a mm -hmm. super, super issue. We're going to get into a little bit of the December solicits, and A-Force isn't in them for Marvel. <gasps> and that would be a big shame if this manages to get through 10 or 11 or 12 issues and disappears. Because yeah. it's just been so great. Yeah. yeah. Good so, run. Sorry to have gone over. But no, but those are all. I yes. Mean, good run. Good. Good stuff. Uh, Mockingbird. I really enjoyed it this week. I think part of uh, it is the, it's... the D and D stuff and the the geek cruise yeah. and then you know seeing the the creator of the the story in the story at the same time. Just fun yes. stuff. It's it's so it's definitely yeah, the, the... one of the best Marvel books coming out. It really blends the, the sort of lighter side of things like Squirrel Girl and Patsy Walker and still deals in some of the serious things. It's very, if anyone lo has been loving Spider Woman, this is right in that mm -hmm. sweet spot. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Highly recommend it. Good, good. Uh, Steve. Black Panther is definitely going to read better collected. I agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yo. You ready? Yo. Yo. What? What up? <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, before you start, Steve, I have a question from before that I didn't get to. Sure. What is Glitch Rock? Is that something from Wreck It Ralph? <laughs> uh, Glitch Rock. It for me, Glitch Rock kind of. Uh, and uh, digital music, lots of like. Um, piano tones, and um, if you've ever heard the band Portishead, okay. um, a little bit of that. And then the glitchiness refers to just kind of mucking with that formula and throwing in um, little gaps here and there, little scratches to kind of uh, make the make the music have a have like an off tempo 
to it that if you if you layer it correctly like another tempo on top of it you come up with a a nice one that sounds very 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 good there you go thank you i've gotten some edumacation yeah i'm sorry i would have i i would like to have had a better answer provided for you but uh that was good that explained yeah, no i think and the portis head i think captures yeah, it absolutely uh, it was just a lot a lot of a lot of bottom a lot our base. It was awesome, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm so I, glad that you had a good time, Joey, and I really appreciate uh, you coming out. Okay, Steve. Now you now you're on the on the clock. Yes. Now you're on the <laughs> clock. You ready? I I guess yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right. So uh, I told everybody that I would read Tokyo Ghost, and I didn't do it in a week, but I've done it now. Uh, written by Rick Remender, art by Sean Gordon Murphy, colors by Matt Hollingsworth. Tokyo Ghost is a story of two lovers, Constable Led Dent and the deadly Debbie Decay. Set in the far future, this cautionary tale of codependency and desperation explores the ways in which entertainment and technology can be weaponized and used to ruin the minds of the masses. Uh, creative commentary on the way in which members of society prefer distraction over reality. Tokyo Ghost presents a funhouse mirrored view of what happens when those who would look to destroy us are not only put in charge, but are worshipped for their twisted tyranny. Wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. Uh, not to be no, full no. quotey, but it's one of the wildest rides I've had while reading a comic book series this year. Uh, I really like that despite the story taking place in an over-sexualized and over-stimulated world, that there's still a deep and impactful story to tell. Uh, whether it's dense dependency on technology or Debbie's obsession with saving her one true love from himself, uh, there was a lot of heart uh, that all throughout the book shine much brighter than any of the hedonistic, uh, like futuristic hedonistic features of the book. Uh, really, really loved it. Uh, I wasn't sure how the second half was going to measure up to the first, and they managed to bring it home. I would like to see the series continued down the road, but I think it kind of stands on its own as well. So that's good. If it doesn't continue, that's fine. Uh, All-Star Batman number two, written by Scott Snyder, art by John Romita Jr. And amazing, amazing colors by Danny Meeky. Oh, my God. Uh, in this issue, the My, uh, my Own Worst Enemy storyline continues with part two, which finds Batman and Two-Face running against the clock to reach a cure to silence Harvey's not-so-better half once and for all. Uh, so for me, the book continues to move along at a breakneck pace while packing in villains from Batman's rogues gallery at every turn. Uh, I like seeing who's going to pop up next. Uh, like to try and take out the bat in addition to the conversations uh, happening between Two-Face and Batman regarding the psychology of why Bats does what he does and what he expects to gain from getting Harvey to the finish line intact. Uh, once again, I'm really enjoying the art by John Romita Jr., but the color work by Danny Miki is off the charts in this one. Uh, there are some some scenes, some villains that he's coloring, Croc in particular, that just look incredible. And uh, um, it's five dollars an issue. Yeah, it kind of sucks, but it's a quality story. Uh, there's even a cool backup uh, happening with uh, Duke and Batman, kind of trying to um, solve another mystery. All, all told, I'm really enjoying it. the The price of the book does depress me a little bit when I click that button, but uh, I know that so far I'm getting a quality book, so I don't mind uh, paying for it. I was going to talk about Supergirl Season 1, but I'm out of time. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to turn this stupid thing off. <laughs> Just sit on it. I don't want to like, sit on a phone. Put it under your chair. 
Oh my Get gosh. On it. The stupid hey. the stupid update. Hey. Um, <laughs> I need a jukebox. I do want to point out that uh. Danny Mickey is, does the inks and Dean White does the colors. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> I feel like under I'm the bus. Under the bus. No, no. I was like, I thought Danny Thanks, Mickey Mara. was an inker. Thanks for that. And so I went to pull it. I was like, oh, it's Dean White. But uh, same, I even looked on the credits of the book. All the same compliments, though. Like, ah, uh, <laughs> love. Go ahead, Mark. The only Go reason ahead. I know is because I met Danny Mickey at one point to get him to sign a book he inked. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, so you're tight, huh? No, oh. not at all. You gotta tell him. <laughs> yeah, tell him. Tell you him. Tell him what I said tell the next him. time you no, see him. Rat no, me out. No, I'll keep it a secret. I'll keep this. Steve secret. went over his lightning round. Thought that you were a colorist. <laughs> it was like the second week in a row that I've actually no, I missed uh, Dave Stewart on colors for when we did the uh, the book club that Bob <laughs> had to remind me of. Must be the comicsology so, just throwing you off, giving you the wrong. Credits. Yeah, you know, I just I don't care about color at all anymore. Just, That's the truth. I really talk about just it a lot. I don't give a shit. Every. every <laughs> Yeah, every comic can be in in black and white for all I care from now on. In fact, I'm going to make it so. I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> hey, that means you get to read oh, a lot of people, people are going to believe you. <laughs> There's got to be a button that makes it black and white, right? <laughs> <Gosh>. Sorry. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Losing um, our minds. Yeah, I've been really enjoying All Star Batman. It's it's fantastic. Um, there's a lot of characters I don't it's know good. as well. And I, I get a little yeah, lost but that's fun. That's part yeah. of the fun. Like these weird characters showing up, and you're like, "Who is this?" And I actually have a Batman Ooh. encyclopedia that I should be pulling out to read alongside with this comic. I'm wondering if it's all Batman villains, or they're just pulling people from the DC universe that are particularly nasty. Mm. Well, it's not continuity, right? It's like its own little world. Yeah. Well, they could do that. So they could do whatever they want. They have the power. It's like the superior foes of Batman. Put in Magneto. <laughs> that would be good. Could you imagine? Fosbenda Magneto. <laughs> yes. Just Fosbender shows up. Not even Magneto. Just Michael Fosbender shows up trying to take you Batman. <laughs> I would pay $5 for that. I would pay $5 for that comic. Oh, yes. All right. Joey, are you ready? Yes. All right, go ahead. Okay, Hadrian's Wall number one. Uh, Kyle Higgins, Alex Siegel of Cowl fame, which is a book I liked a, a while ago. Uh, Rod Race on art. Um, it's an alt dystopian sci-fi. Uh, the kind of opening page is like, in 1985, the USSR and the US detonated nuclear weapons. Now, 100 years later, the world coexists only through extensive colonizing of space. None of that is really important, though, because... Uh, <laughs> Um, Higgins and Siegel are much more interested in telling a kind of half murder mystery, half deeply personal relationship story. We open with a shocking emptiness of space death scene that kicks off the narrative. Our protagonist, Simon, is uh, a divorced, kind of bitter, uh, trying to hold on to the past in a rapidly advancing future kind of character. He's also a kind of an insurance investigator uh, and is asked by his friend Marshall to 
uh, take the aforementioned space death case. Ironically, the victim is the man who married his ex-wife. Drama ensues along with space jumping and kind of brutal interpersonal drama. Love the concept, the intimacy of the story, the characters. They all make this kind of sci-fi story more than just space. Add some stellar... Oh, <laughs> artwork from Reese, um, and <laughs> and you've got the makings of a great new series from Image. Uh, Briggsland number two. Just wanted to kind of touch back with this series. You talked about it a month ago, Brian. Um, really dig in the visuals by Chater and the characterization of the new quote-unquote head of the family, Grace Briggs. Uh, as mom takes over the family business, uh, the sons have to adjust. Watching the dynamics play out is really interesting and cool. Um, and, I, you know, I really like reading Dark Horse. They're putting out a lot of really interesting stuff out the last few months. Uh, the other book is The Forevers, number one, Black Mass Studios, Kurt Pyers and Eric Scott Pfeiffer, uh, my boy Colin Bell on letters. Legend. All right. First of all... Um, Holy damn, Eric Scott Pfeiffer's digital photorealism art, a la kind of Clayton Crane. Uh, it's deep, it's moody, it's rich. It's uh, the inks and 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 powerful colors too. Um, total, totally stunning. Uh, the narrative itself opens with like a ten years ago tricked out supernatural ceremony in which seven people to i don't know live forever maybe whatever they at least attain their wishes for fame flash forward to now and you see the utter shittiness and numbness of their lives uh we spend much of this issue with jamie ashby uh, uh methed out washed out rock star and daisy cates an actress model extraordinaire pierce pulls no punches as he shows us the depravity that their fame and their lives has instilled in them with a a shocking ending. Um, this was a weird book for me because I've been picking up a lot of Black Mass books like Kim and Kim and, and Jade Street and Four Kids. And I was like, yeah, I really like this kind of light, cool fare. And then The Forevers was like <laughs> really heavy and dark and like really intense. Uh, um, but again, it, it works. Um, it was a shock in a good way from, from that publisher. So This book was yeah. weird, yeah. man. Dude, it was a trip. And I was like, Give me some Kim and Kim. <laughs> yeah, I read it the other night, and I really didn't. I didn't know what to make of it when I was uh, when I was done reading it. I kind of like, and I dig his stuff, right? Like I've talked about some of his other books uh, on the podcast, and uh, kind of don't know what you're getting into when you read one of uh, Kurt Pyer's books. And uh, I just didn't. I felt like it was one of those books that I read. I thought it was interesting, but the moment that I was away from and started reading something else i completely forgot what it was that i had read weird um, it was like uh it was like uh, reminded me of like one of those movies from like the late 90s early 2000s from like england or like scotland that was like really deep and dark like train spotting or something like that or like something like fight club or one of those Enter late 90s void. movies yeah like those kind of like really Grilms that were just like, or Requiem for a Dream, where it was just yeah, like, yeah, definitely Requiem for a Dream. Let's get as graphic as we can as we explore the emptiness of our lives. But it has that kind of supernatural angle to it, so I don't know. Yeah, but like, that's the thing. I don't understand the supernatural angle. I think that's the thing that I'm having a hard time Me locking either. down because there's this really beautiful scene of all of these uh, people gathering and they they kind of perform this ritual and light up these fields and it creates these burning sigils. And yeah. apparently it's them entering into some kind of pact. And then, yeah. you know, fast forward a little bit and you find out that some of the players in that pact are uh, knocked Rob- off. 
yeah, they're rock stars and they're this and they're that and they're famous people and they can't be touched. But somebody is going around kind of knocking them off. It's like a like Requiem for a Dream meets uh, Wicked and the Divine. Yeah. Right? That's why I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Stamp of approval. I gotta, it's one of those books that I gotta, yeah, I gotta have more of them before I I really come down on how I feel about it. I felt very uh, strange just just after I left it. I was like, all right, right, that was a thing. Yeah, I will say though that like the the shock of it, you know, Kim and Kim and and Jade Street and four kids in a uh, walk into a bank. I think we can kind of classify those together in a lot of ways. And I think like yeah. we were we were talking about Black Mask a lot over the summer and kind of this this niche that they were filling. But Forever is, is t- totally breaks that. And I think that's good for them, right? Mm-hmm. To kind of put out different kinds of books mm-hmm. and, and diversify the line. Uh, it's very different than those other three. Yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to get started on my three minutes, and also three books. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, so starting off, Idle Dreams Volume 3 by Arena Tanimura from Shoujo Beat continues Chikage's dream of reliving her youth. Uh, so she's been taking this experimental drug that turns her 31-year-old self into a 15-year-old again. So the double life comes... Why would you want to do that? She, she has so many regrets. So many regrets. Um, yeah, okay. But it brings twice as many problems because as a mature woman, she's trying to rekindle this relationship with her former high school sweetheart. But when she takes the drug and she's 15, she's basically dating again, which is really creepy if you think too hard about it. Um, uh, The series is great because it has both that mature romance part, although it's not explicit or anything like um, everyone's getting married or Nana or any of those Jose type stories. But with the the youthful drama and the sci-fi edge with the pill that makes you young again. Animosity number two by Marguerite Bennett and Raphael Delator. Uh, we talked about this last time it came out um, from Aftershock and the craziness is just amped up in this comic with the animals and their consciousness. Um, so one week after the awakening, Sandor, the dog, continues to do everything in his power to protect his person, Jesse, the little girl. And this distrust is growing between Sandor and Oscar as the violence between the animals and the humans kind of accelerates. Um, There's like animals selling things out in in the park and there's people shooting animals, animals killing people. Like it's not it's not a great time. Um, But Sandor, the dog, presents as very loyal to Jesse. um, But Oscar does not really feel like like Sandor's going to be loyal all the time. Um, They Bennett and Dilator blend the humor and the horror, and it's just, it's a great, great book. I've really been enjoying it. And finally, all new X Men number 13 by Dennis Hopeless and Mark Bagley from Marvel. And what I like about this particular comic is it's taking a break from all the danger and the apocalypse and the Civil War II and all that kind of stuff and just doing some straight drama. Um, Edie and Evan are Bobby's wingmen at a nightclub in Miami. And their mission is to help Bobby be what? more comfortable talking to young men his age in a romantic, flirty way. Since Bobby has come out, he's not really, um, he's still kind of unsure of everything. So they are basically pushing him into doing this. And he eventually meets a young man named Romeo. And Romeo says, 
yo, don't look too much into my name. Don't think too much of it. But Romeo is an inhuman. And I'm just going, (gasps) I know, right? (laughs) I'm like, this is the kind of like X-Men drama I want in a side book. Like this is um, outside of the main title. This is what I want. So I was pretty happy with, with that. And, you know, I love the superhero stuff. I love the action, but I am, I'm a sucker for the drama. Like, give me some good, like, oh, no, I'm an ice man, but I also like man. So I'm cool with it. So those are my minutes. Yeah. My books. My Sounds recs good. this week. Good. Um, and news this week, and this was something brought to my attention. I think Hugh sent it to me, and then Bob wanted to talk about it too, is the She-Hulk Hulk series. Yes. So you don't sound too happy about that. I don't know. I see Jennifer Walters as the main Hulk, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. It's different. It's cool. But you you don't sound too enthusiastic about that. No, and let's say the new series, it's Mariko Tamaki who did this one summer, which we all loved mm-hmm. when we read it a couple of years back. And Skim. And Super Mutant Magical Academy. Yes. Yeah. And so great writer, but when you read the solicit and it's Axel Alonso, uh, the title She-Hulk evokes lighthearted stories about a Jennifer Walters who is at peace with herself and in full control of her powers. This isn't that book. On the other hand, the title Hulk implies all of the baggage that comes with that comic's 50-plus year history, the ongoing battle with the monster within, and that's why it's more appropriate for this series. Here's the thing. That tone, which is what the book began with when it was the Savage She-Hulk back at its, its beginnings, failed the character and the title entirely. It was when Roger Stern and then John Byrne gave it a light heart and a Jennifer Walters who was completely at peace with being the She-Hulk 24-7 that created the character that everybody loves. So coming out of this horrible Civil War thing where she's gravely wounded and it, it may affect other books as we go, taking this tone with that character that is so antithetical to almost everything she's been over the last 30 years of that 50-year history of what he's talking about, the Hulk, strikes me as, as a misstep. And as someone who's bought every single issue of every single solo She-Hulk book, I may not buy this one. Oh. Mm. Yeah, it seems kind of... I don't want my, my She-Hulk story to be bringing me down. I mean, it's supposed Absolutely. to be fun, and she's, you know, she breaks the fourth wall. She has a lot of fun with it. She's what the Hulk is not, you know what I mean? He's angry, mm. and he's out of control, but Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk, she loves being the Hulk, and she appreciates that that persona, and, and to have that anger tied to it just doesn't seem, doesn't seem natural to the character. Now, not the character mm. who'd be pals with Patsy Walker. Right. Yeah. Right. But here's the other thing. <sighs> Mariko Tamaki. Yeah. And that's that's, that's kind of where I am for mm-hmm. it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, I don't know tonally that it'll click with me, but I'm definitely willing to give it a shot, uh, knowing the creator. And uh, I just I've I everything that I've read from her I've enjoyed. And this is one people ask us sometimes if you go with character or creator uh, when you purchase your books. This is a time where I'm going to go with the creator. And have faith in their ability to to tell a good story with this character. Uh, Mariko seems really excited to be on the book and on the character. And uh, 
uh, I, me personally, I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt, regardless of the solicitation, uh, mm-hmm. until until I read otherwise. Uh, I love that character, and I like the creator a lot. And uh, her coming into the mainstream to do something for Marvel and it being an ongoing, I don't know that I like the animosity angle and the anger. But um, if I took a, a missile to the chest and woke up and found out all that nonsense that happened, <laughs> I might be pretty upset for a little huh. while before I was everybody's, you know, fun and loving uh, Jen. But, you know, that's it's a byproduct of what they've done with the character in Civil War, right? Like if the whole She-Hulk angle had never happened, we might be getting a very different book. Right, right. You do have to respect to like, not respect, but you do have to acknowledge that, like, hey, they they are trying new things. And, uh, Bob, I'll be the first to tell you, like, when Mark Wade and uh, Paula Rivera took over Daredevil, I didn't read it because I was just coming off of the Bendis and the Brubaker era, and I really, really dug those runs. Same thing happened with, with Captain America, too. And obviously, like, that Mark Wade book was a totally different tone and a tone that I did not associate with Daredevil. Um, but going back, you know, I enjoy that book. It's still not the Daredevil that I would kind of like just to read. Um, not saying that that Mark Wade run is not awesome. It is. But it's just not the Daredevil that I was necessarily into. And the same thing happened with, with Iron Fist, too. I, there's a version of that character that I really enjoy, and I can go back and I can read those books. And uh, I admire the the direction that Kari Andrews took. It wasn't necessarily a series that I wanted to continue, and I would not have purchased. But, you know, uh, when you have these events and you want the consequences to matter, I guess books like this Hulk thing come out of it. Um but I'm, I'm with you there. If I'm not digging it, I'm not going to buy it. And it's kind of a yeah. bummer to think that I don't read read the X-Men anymore because of that. But at the same time, I guess that the story has to continue. Yeah. Uh, I suppose uh, the, the thing of it is, we, we, once we go down this rabbit hole, there need to me, if there's, there could be books in the middle. Something between where Squirrel Girl is and where the, the real heavy stuff. Steve is the agent of Hydra, whatever. Somewhere <laughs> in between, there, there's a there's room to play with. Right. And that might be the perfect place for a She-Hulk book in the same way that Spider-Woman is. Mm-hmm. Right. That sort of vibe for this could be really nicely handled. There, there could still be consequences. But does it have to be this grim, pouting, angry character? Again, that aspect of this character didn't work. The runs that everyone remembers, certainly John Burns, sensational, but he took that from what Roger Stern did with her in The Avengers. It's what Dan Slott did. It's what Peter David did. Peter's were a little more serious, but still sort of edgy humor, buddy comedy sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We have consequences from an event that isn't ending on time, that we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> right. That the event itself makes little sense at a certain level as to way characters are interacting with each other. And we exposed Jennifer Walters to something that she didn't need to be part of. Made for a great Patsy Walker issue. Yeah. You know, number one pal button on the cover. I weeped all the way through it. 
And now we're going to, instead of, okay, I'm going to, what to me, what, not that I'm writing her book, but if I were, being that close to, close to death wouldn't make me angry. It would make me respect and love the people who cared for me more, not stomp off and be gray and smash things. You gotta, you gotta get there, Bob. Though you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go through the struggle to get there. No, I don't. <laughs> the rest of the world may, but no. I think there's something too about um, we were talking about the creative team before, like if, like Skim and this one summer. I think, and this is the one thing I did like from from Axel Alonso's comments is like, I think that the creative team does have a, a knack for that that emotional resonance, and we don't know. We don't know if this book is going to be, you know, when you give Brian Michael Bendis gritty Spider Woman agent of sword you know if that's if that's the way that this is going to go or if it's going to go down the road of something like x23 when marjorie lou was on the book you know something like that where it has that angst and it has that darkness but it has an emotional resonance to it that carries us to someplace hopefully down the line a little bit brighter um i guess it, you know It'll depend on how how if you're if if anybody's willing to take the take the chance. I think and we're going to talk about this later. But like, I'm getting to the point where I don't know if I want to take the chance mm-hmm. yeah. with some of these books. It just costs too much, uh, uh, right? It's a great creative team, and as Steve says, we want to we want to celebrate that, especially the diversity contained here. Someone coming from the outside doing great work coming to Marvel. We don't know where the the pitch came from in what direction how tight the reins are as to what you do i mean i'm reminded always of the new 52 relaunch of batgirl and gail simone basically trying to salvage barbara gordon but only being allowed to tell certain stories to stay within a framework of what they were trying to do i think based on this one summer there are great stories that can be told in that tone, that would be because that was a funny, real, consequence-laden book. But it, it had every human emotion locked into that. I read this Alyssa, and it's no, <laughs> no, I yeah. no, she Hulk smash. No, this is weird. Yeah, I I don't know what in the the history of reading about. Jennifer Walters' journey in comic books got us to this point. Alyssa was a selective reading based on what story we want to tell coming out of this. And we still, you know, we're going to talk about the December solicits. Mm-hmm. We see some of those covers and it's, I, how did we got there? Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. uh, I, I here's the thing for for me I will not add this to my pull list which isn't going to say I'm not going to sneak a look when the owner of the store is not looking. Okay. See for for me it's more about what Mariko Tamaki has to say with the character as opposed to what Axel Alonso wants to write in a blurb <laughs> for right. so you can get a, eyes on the book. Yeah, like you know there I I I just I don't want to I don't want to judge the book based on a solicit that maybe they're maybe they're paving the way for for what's going to happen. I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but as we as I've read a couple of Mariko Tamaki stuff, she does deal with emotional content quite well, and she always approaches it from sometimes a very bizarre 
angle, like uh, in Super Mutant Magical Academy, as weird as that book is, when you kind of reach the last few chapters of it, it does become quite the emotional journey when you realize that all of these panels that you thought were individual ones are starting to come together and that there has been a narrative throughout the whole thing. It's very sneaky and it's very clever and it's very uh, it's delivered very well, by very deliberately by somebody who knew what they were doing with the pacing and stuff. And coming off of that pedigree and coming off of that talent, I just, if you asked me where I want to put my money down, my money would be on, on Mariko Tamaki. It would not be on Axel Alonso. I know. I, and I don't, here's the thing. It's, it's where our launch point is. Mm -hmm. If our launch point for this is somewhere tremendously dark and foreboding, that Charles Charles Soule's version of She-Hulk, which I think we all loved, mm -hmm. had emotional resonance. Those uh, issues of Cap's trial, her looking through those old files, having to go back through it, plenty of of emotional moments. But it was lighthearted. Comedy can have deep, deep emotional resonance. Things do not have to be with clenched teeth and fists. To be that, and I'm not saying that Mariko would do that, but we're starting from violence and injury and death of people and making a left turn into something lighter is going to be really jarring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she might be able to do it, but I think that they're, they're, they're setting this all off on the wrong foot to begin with. Yeah. Is yeah. just I think what my point is, ultimately. I think we'll definitely mm -hmm. be addressing the book in full once it comes out. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we'll get more, you know, they always release preview pages and stuff as we get closer and closer to the release date. So I, I'm actually pretty excited about it just because of, of Mariko and seeing her do something. And, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, all right. I mean, I don't know yeah. what's happening at the end of Civil War II. And I know things are not good for the character, but I'm at least, I'm at least invested enough in the creative team to try it out. That's where I'm at right now. I'm not. I'm not happy, but I'll try it out. And if I don't like it, then I got that John Byrne Ultimate Collection coming out soon. There you go. <laughs> so it's just getting tough, and and it's just getting tough with the more books that come out, and as we have connections to these characters and everything, like it's getting tough to 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 follow along mm -hmm. with with some of these directions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Bob, you had also mentioned. I haven't had a chance to look through my solicits yet, my previews, but you had mentioned that. Um, uh, A-Force and Ms. Marvel are not in the solicits. They're, they're not in the December solicits. Uh, now, as Joey pointed out, perhaps Ms. Marvel is just back one. It was in the all-new, all-different, all-now, <laughs> all-whenever preview special magazine. I have to go back and look for that. I still have it when I, when I got home. I, I don't think Ms. Marvel is canceled. Could it be delayed a month to allow events to settle probably particularly yeah. with the captain marvel thing going because in the december solicits is the mighty captain marvel number zero yeah so it, we could be tied into that a force i have i have a bad feeling about a force in that with she hulk having been so much a part of that but it was the other she hulk mm -hmm. both in the a force issues that g willow and uh kelly thompson were doing as part of the battle world thing and then as this one picked up yeah it's a it's a very deep book but it is very light as these heroes are regrouped by singularity 
And I have the funny, the sales are okay, not great. Don't know what the digital ones are. I have a bad feeling. There's so much warfare going on. We have I versus X. Which, actually, it's it's IVX. It's really, IVX. Is anybody is anybody like reading in humans versus X Men? Like, is that no. something that's going to really draw? No. Like, no. like what? I have no now, Death of X, on the other hand, like Cyclops is my boy. I need to know what happened. <laughs> but in humans versus X Men, I saw that on the thing, and it was like, this is the thing that you've been waiting for. No. And I'm like, <laughs> we have not. I, have no like, I, thought that, I thought we gave up on the Inhumans. Didn't that happen? No, <laughs> apparently not. There's like 17 Inhuman books coming out. And look, if you're into the Inhumans, I totally get it. I dig it. But they pushed them real hard like two, two and a half years ago. And all of a sudden, it just that train just fell off. Yeah. Uh, and now they're pushing this big event. Yeah. Big? Yeah. Well, it's top yeah. Of the, they're trying top to make the, it top big. Top of the page. Yeah. They want uh, it to be big. Not a... Yeah, not interested in it or any of the crossovers that go with it. Yes, yeah, seeing the death of X, I, I hate to think that's what's going to be, but do want to know what happens. Yeah, yeah. But no, not, not uh, how many tie-ins are there? At least a half dozen, right? Takes over all the X Men books. You gotta yeah. get your money. They're coming for you. Not, not mine. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd rather I. As, met, as much as I'm not thrilled, I'd rather buy this mighty Captain Marvel by Margaret Stoll. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I can't wait. Her uh, great things about those novels she put out. I, I read the, the first book, one. The book that grabbed my eye was Hawkeye number one, man. Kelly Thompson. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Kelly that's, Thompson. Mm. And that's the reason, that's another reason I think A-Force may be going the way of all flesh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She'll be doing that. But that look that looks great. Nicole Collins, uh, Gamora, finally coming out. Finally, we've Yo. also heard we've also heard why there's no Blade. Tim Seeley, the, the new Blade book that was going to be Blade's daughter, they announced I don't know two New York Comic Cons ago. Just it didn't come together in quite the way they wanted, and they kept trying and trying and trying. So that one's gone. But Gamora, which was announced at the same show, is coming. So that, that's a good thing. Hmm. All right, like that was announced like eons ago. Yeah, exactly. Just never so that, that's a, that's an issue. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. There's just so many other things that seemed similar, and they just couldn't find a new hook for it. And so oh, we're still we're still friends, you know. We'll still work together, but that one's uh, not going. We have the unworthy Thor. Hmm. We're two of five of that. And Mighty Thor continues with Beta Ray Bill. Apparently, what? Yes, <laughs> he's part of the sort of League of Realms, helping to defend. The nine realms against Loki and his bad guys. So having Beta Ray Bill around, who knows? Maybe we'll get Thunderstrike while we're at it. Huh. Yo, Let, let's let's go Gamora, deep. Those Gamora covers are gorgeous. Yep. Wow. Very happy to see Scarlet Witch continuing on a very personal level. Yep. Wasn't so sure that was going to work. We've got some Agatha Harkness coming back. Ultimates. Doctor uh, Strange uh, has another book. Yeah, and the Sorcerer's Supreme. Yep. Sure, why not? You've got a movie out. Might as well get some more books out. Absolutely. That's what I say. I'm hoping for good things. I'm not thrilled with the way the new arc has begun. But I'm hanging in. If Chris Botchell hangs in, I'm hanging in. <laughs> Interested in uh, Invisible uh, Invincible Iron Man when Riri takes over. 
There you go. Yeah. And, sure. and you've got two. Well, how many Iron Man books are there? Is it two? Invincible and uh, Inf- infamous. 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 Yeah. The one that um that I've been reading, the current run has been excellent. Um, I'm only not. I haven't read the latest issue, but everything before that has been very enjoyable. Uh, so that could end up being, uh, mm-hmm. if that continues to be really good. We've got all sorts of Spider-Man stuff. Yeah, clone, yeah. clone, clone conspiracy. Dead no more. Renew your vows. Huh? <laughs> Which is the right timeline? What's happening? I don't know. Explain it to me. Somebody who's reading Spider-Man, explain what's happening. I'm reading the Miles Morales Spider-Man, okay. and I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't going to bring it up, but uh, something's changed about that book. Uh, this this whole civil war thing and uh, it's not really doing it for me and it's such a shame because that book has been at the top of my pile every time it comes out I get really uh, excited and you know some of the stuff from that first run with uh, the Venom Wars and stuff involving Miles's mom was was great and this arc just this run just seems to be going by at a snail's pace and there, there's whole whole issues of just conversations and no action and nothing happens. Mm. And, Classic Bendis. Oh, yeah. God. But it's so... Like, I love the character. I love Miles as a character. And he's just stuttering his way through these books. And he just can't believe that, like, his grandma would have, you know... Uh, what's her face? Jessica... Uh, oh, my God. Jessica Jones looking in on him and we've been talking about this for like three or four books like issues like really this is what we're doing with this incredible character and all the avengers are blaming him because they show up and he's in the wrong place at the wrong time and you know oh you got to do a better job of keeping your identity under wraps and how many issues can we talk about this Mm -hmm. so i don't know i i mean if you're enjoying spider-man that's awesome i really wish that i was like I said, I love that character. I thought Bendis was doing a great job introducing him into the Marvel Universe. But the Civil War books with Miles have just been boring. They've been really boring. And it, it's killing me that I feel that way. Because he's a character that's anything but. So yeah, how do yeah. you do that? And he's an important character. And, mm-hmm. and they make a point of mentioning that. Uh, Luke Cage has a conversation with him in the newest issue where he basically tells Miles, he's be like you're the black Spider-Man do not fuck this up. Like this is really important and they're, they're addressing it. But sometimes, sometimes the dialogue's a little bit too on the nose. It's a little too self-aware that it's uh, like, has like a political commentary to okay. it. And uh, I just don't know that that's an important part of the story. Or if it is, I just don't know that it needs to be, kind of like beaten into the reader the way that it feels like it's being over the last I would say like three or four issues as opposed to something more organic he's just being miles being miles right go somewhere tell a story like we've been sitting in miles's uh dorm room and cafeteria and on rooftops for like three or four issues like there's nothing going on the whole the whole thing of his grandmother trying to find out what he's doing because she thinks that he's on drugs is beat like it was beat from the from the get-go and here we are several issues in it we're still doing stuff with it and it just feels like a go nowhere subplot 
to me. I don't know what the add value to the character is with that other than making his mother suspicious. But honestly, I think if she knew the deal, if she doesn't already, I think she'd be cool with it. And I don't understand why we can't just do that and move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's my little two cents yeah. or, uh, about the current Spider-Man. Love the character. Have loved the run uh, up until some of the more recent issues. It's just, it's slow. It's slow and, it, and it's, it's become boring. I like some of the dialogue. Some of the dialogue is funny. Jessica Jones is always, you know, very, very sarcastic and pithy. And I like that. But the moment that stuff is over... It's just it's nowheresville. Yeah. So Shame. that's just that's just me. That's just my opinion. See, I see one, it more one, from a therapeutic point of view. While, how so? While I'm reading it, like reading it with a child and saying, like, you know, going through how does Miles react to his parent and this kind of stuff. So that's where, like, you don't like the drama and like the the dra- dragging that stuff out. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's making so explicit for this 12 year old I have in mind to read it. <laughs> so I'm coming at it from a different point of view where I'm like, oh, this is awesome. They're explaining it. They're they're exploring it from different angles, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that can get uh, kind of boring for people who who don't need it. <laughs> uh, who don't need it so explicitly uh, I kn- mentioned. Uh, I I know you you younger folks don't remember, but when David Letterman was doing his late night show for NBC, he'd have people come on to review movies who had a certain level of expertise. So he had a welder come on and review Flashdance. Oh. (laughs) So it's kind of like that. It's like, okay, I, I, you know, there's certain, I I don't mean to belittle what you're saying, Mar, but certainly there's a, it's different. There are different. There are different ways to look at all of this, and and certainly, and as I think Steve points out, you know, for him, it's not working. It's just not not yes, yeah, not, not the working. miles he wanted to see, and it it started well, but is fading quickly, and I, uh, it just feels draggy. It's stagnant. Yeah. It, it, it becomes stagnant yeah, it, after a while. You know, there's only so many times where I could see Miles grabbing the top of his head. And kind of reeling back emotionally and mentally <laughs> and being like, what? What? What do you mean she's been having me investigated? Who is it? Does she know? And I just, I can appreciate that if we want to have a down issue or we want to have an issue where they explore that. Mm-hmm. But have it have it add to the character. Have it be interesting to the character. Him kind of hashing things out about uh being in a dorm room and and the whole thing with Genki kind of revealing his identity to uh, the Gold Balls character <laughs> and everything. <laughs> no, I know it's a silly on. thing. Like it was no, like it was playful and it was fun and it was cool to kind of see like Miles and Genki in school doing his thing. But Genki's kind of turned a little weird too. Yeah. In the last couple of issues, he's do- doing things that are very un-Genki and very, for somebody that values the superhero community as much as that character does, he's doing a lot of bonehead moves and at the expense of his friend's safety. And if that's, if that's like a character flaw that they're trying to build, I, I mean, maybe in hindsight, going back and reading the run later after it's out, but for right now, in the moment, it just doesn't feel good. Not working. Not working. Maybe they're just, maybe they're just growing up, man. They're, in high school, high school's tough, man. I see them every day. <laughs> yeah, making, making bonehead moves, making bonehead moves. These high school kids. They can't help it. Uh, it gets better. Oh man. Yeah. So, you so mentioned have- you- cool. It looks go. awesome. 
and Power Man and Iron Fist still raging on. Like there's some books like that. Patsy Walker was on there too. Like there are books like that. They're still on that list that I will be reading. You How know? about but, uh, the unbeatable Mew? Yes. Have you seen that? Special issue, special issue of Squirrel Girl, the yeah. unbeatable Mew. Nancy's like, cat. Yep. Yeah. We were talking before with the, the She-Hulk stuff, the, the Hulk, the new Hulk book, like with all of these books coming out with all of these kind of, you know, weird directions for some of these characters how many times are we going to take a chance and and on a on a book that you know we might not we might not agree with on the outset especially when we have a handful of books that are really really amazing and we feel like these new books keep coming out and they keep trying to push us into these like new characters and new directions at what point does it become like a a price point thing and b uh you know what i'm just gonna stay over here in my corner i'm like I'm looking at some of these solicits and, you know, price becomes a thing, too, that when you're when you're relaunching and you're you're having new books come out, Marvel might want to be of the mind that lowering the price will get people through the door. I mean, I'm looking at this X-Men 92 number 10. It's five dollars. It's 40 pages, but it's five bucks. Yeah. Well, so I, I don't yeah. I don't I don't know the, the four the four dollar for every book like i remember when we were doing this back in the day and there were you know 299 marvel books every now and again and i used to make uh different piles when we would go to tour i Comics. remember yes right yeah. yeah and i would have my 299 my 399 and then my 350 or 499 pile and watching that pile grow throughout the years was really eye-opening and then when i would go th- through that pile the vast majority of those books were the marvel books and for for a company that relaunches as often as they do i just i feel like they're they're not making it easy for people to jump in i have jumped off of so many marvel books because of that four dollar price tag and and i don't know the the events getting in the way it's it's been a it's been a crazy year yeah. Uh, yeah, Marvel, for Marvel. Yeah. I've I've really there's a handful. Bob and I were talking about this the other night when we were doing the book club podcast. Like there's a handful of Marvel books that I love. I'm not trying to trash on them as a whole, but for some of their flagship stuff, I'm so removed from them from the way that they've been rolled out and tied into other things and the price points to even want to be curious about it right. when you're asking me for five dollars each time. You can, you can blow, man. Like no way. <laughs> Stick uh, yeah, it where the uh, sun don't shine. Yeah, yeah seriously. Like, is, is Hulk number one going to be five bucks? Probably. I'm, I'm going to look know. right now. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you right now. Here's you the know, thing: like, we 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 didn't go down the rabbit hole of sales figures for last month, but I'm not going to do that here. DC beat Marvel again with 33 percent fewer books. Mm-hmm. And beat them on percentage and units and dollars. And Marvel's attention to these events, the event is selling. The sidebar books were not particularly. Yeah. Right. They lost readers, some of them. And there was a whole thing with Nick Spencer and Captain America where he was talking about you know his book and how it lost 10,000 in sales or whatever it did. And it was a whole kerfuffle online. It's It's you feel you're trapped into buying not only the one book, but 14 others that tie with it where the DC rebirth has been more about focusing on for for now. Anyway, the core characters, the bigger ones, 
and done in a not always lighter hearted but more canonical way mm-hmm. that seems to have resonated with readers in a way that they haven't in five years or so. Right. Yeah. And not always too. We've talked all, a lot about, you know, the double shipping and some of the books just not, not clicking. And, and mm-hmm. it's not to say that DC's firing and all, all cylinders, Absolutely. But, but they are definitely having more success. And the, the irony here is that at the end of last year, Marvel was our number, number two publisher. It may have been number one. I don't remember. But it was like our number one or number two publisher yeah. for the, the best publisher of the year. And they, they really came into the year really strong. But I think what we're talking about is fatigue, mm-hmm. not just with event fatigue, as we've talked about in the past, but just kind of the like looking at those solicits. What surprised me was how many books there are coming out yes. that month from Marvel on characters that have solo series or have have books that I'm just like. Like who is reading that? Who, and and who's reading they, like, yeah, seven Deadpool books or whatever. Full right? killer yeah, and like, solo and Yeah, and again people I don't know. Not that necessarily like that's a, that's like yeah, try new things, absolutely. But as Steve's saying, like if all these books are gonna be at this price point and if you're gonna if you're gonna over if you're gonna uh, upsell the first issue in particular, like how are you getting people in the door on these new characters. You know, Superior Foes of Spider-Man, issue one, had been $5. You know, and, and that had continued on where people have stayed with that book uh, mm-hmm. as long as they did or something along those lines. You know, it's just there's something mm-hmm. about that, I think, that compared to where they were last year and the energy coming out of Secret Wars, um, I think a lot of that has, has fallen away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the new now does not have the impact of that first one. No. Yeah, I will say this those though. Books, it was Hawkeye and some of those other great great yeah. titles. I will say this though: Black Widow number nine. Hashtag Bucky Nat. <gasps> I, 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 I almost I almost like just vomited of enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> and like I had several people like I tweeted that out. And I had several people kind of tweet back, and they were like, "The first person I thought about was you." And I'm like, "I'm glad I made that impact because Bucky Nat is like." The best. It's like my my sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Gives you life. Gives you life. For Samney doing Bucky Nat, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Let's move on to some comics that we are, like, really happy about. I feel like we we need to look on the bright side of the comics industry. And let's start with Doom Patrol. And I know know Steve had uh, emailed us, like, Friday. And you guys, you guys has got that right i did. You bogarted the book you, you, you <laughs> no, work for it's not bogarting all right well look it's, i am i'm I get, taking this book this is something yeah. i'm passionate about so i'm happy to hear what every, steve has to say about doom patrol every week every week i go through this where i go to add my stuff like toward the end of the week and i look at the list of like everybody's lightning rounds and open discussion books and i'm like damn that's all stuff that I was going to say. So the one week that I decide to throw two books out there super early to be like, I'm planning my, my flag on these books. It was as if nobody got that email <laughs> and we're switching around on the show notes on the Google doc stuff. And I'm just sitting here wondering, like, did nobody read that? I wanted to talk about doom patrol and ghosts. Like what the hell is happening? Yes. I try to get my did. act together and and it's like I was tumbleweeds, man. Wait, you said ghosts? I thought I said ghosts. No, I said ghosts in that same email oh. about Doom Patrol. I wasn't paying attention to that part. <laughs> oh, 
my god. I saw, I saw Doom Patrol, and then like when I read Ghost, See, I was like, I wonder if Steve wants to talk about this. So, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Here's yeah. the thing. Here, hold the on. Book by Eric Luke from the '90s, right? The girl in the white cape. No. About. no, 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 no. Look, <laughs> I'm gonna really, really quick, and then we'll get into this book. I, I've been on this podcast for years, okay, <laughs> and I am always the person who's a little slow, a little behind, a little burnt out. And now with Mara being in charge and Joey on full time, and then the legendary Bob Ryer. I have had to pick myself up and be prepared and write notes and write scripts for my lightning rounds. The one time that I send an email to get on the ball ahead of you guys and it goes like I'm not unread. <laughs> we all read it. Oh, my read God. It. I put, oh, I put you down mind. for Doom Patrol. I put you down yeah. there. No, what do you want? Like a like great I want, thanks. <laughs> I want a parade, Joey. Okay. <laughs> I want a parade. I want a statue. I want it all, man. I want cookies baked yeah. in my honor. I didn't even bring it up at the concert. <laughs> no, I know. Honestly, I'm just having fun with you guys. Tonight has been such a weird night for podcasting. Yeah. I'm hungry. It's hot up here. Uh, it's a whole Make thing. Cookies shaped like robot man, robot man's head. Yeah. yeah. Yo, talk about uh, Doom Patrol and that heroes. Yeah, because I have no so, idea what happened in this yep. this book. <laughs> All right, so Doom Patrol, Doom Patrol number one uh, is part of the Young Animal imprint coming out from DC and uh, Gerard Way of the band My Chemical Romance. Yeah. is uh, kind of spearheading this whole thing. And the first book uh, of the new label to come out is Doom Patrol number one. It is written by Gerard Way. Uh, artist is Nick Darrington. Colors by Tamara Bonvillon. Yes. And letters by Todd Klein. So, let me tell you something. <laughs> Doom Patrol number one. I don't know if you can. Go Doom ahead. Patrol number one is awesome. <laughs> It's a great book. It's a great comic book, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay, it is weird. It is wonderful. So I don't have all the pieces. Not all of it makes sense, but there are parts of this comic book that speak to me in ways that no other comic book ever has before. Uh, just to point out some of the weirdness in this book, it's basically it starts off. Uh, we're following two EMTs. Uh, around and they're they're saving the life of a, an elderly man who has uh, gotten into an accident, and uh, we come to find out that they have uh, abilities down the road, or at least get caught up with people that do in uh, their adventures. But at one point in this book, we go into kind of the the mind's eye of the gyro, and by the way, I mean food. And uh, I'm just going to read you a little snippet of this book to prove to you just how bizarre this is. Okay. EMT character says, look at this gyro. It's a beautiful, colorful, multi-layered spiral. It's got tzatziki and it's got fresh vegetables. It's got texture and man's influence on nature and society. <laughs> we think we know this gyro, but we don't know everything. What's going on in there? Endless possibilities, good versus evil. Just a whole world buzzing along, going about its daily rotation. Time might make no sense if you're living in the gyro. Then you put the universe inside of you. You feel me? Yeah, followed, by, followed by the other character, Casey, saying, maybe we're all inside of someone else's gyro. Yeah, but the great <laughs> thing are. about it is that Darrington takes us inside the gyro and it yeah, gives, a, us, gives us this little world, right? Yeah, a, a secret mission 
a secret like Jedi mission by Cliff Steele, robot man from the original Doom Patrol in a in a oh in a cape. Huh? So bizarre and so cool. And it actually made me think back, Mara, this one's for you. Yeah. Uh thinking back to Echo mm. and that issue where they were explaining the um the concept of like, like one and one and how right how like two doesn't necessarily um like if you had two glasses uh, if you had a glass of water it's not one it's an infinitesimal amount of ones because it's not just water inside of a glass it's all the molecules and all the particles and all the things that make up that glass and that make oh up the water and that make up the water and the glass together and that oh if you pour half the glass into another glass you don't have two you have much more than two like it's that kind of crazy crazy stuff that just make, like makes your brain spin and then we we zero in microscopically on this gyro rotting in the trash and we come <laughs> to find out that there's this like robot jedi mission happening in a society that lives in the gyro and i just i was like this is so this is so fresh and so cool and so different and and I just I loved it. And the the artwork is off the wall, both both, uh, you know, inks and, and colors and lines and all of that good stuff. Everything is so bright and colorful and animated. And it's just it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. I, I have to say I am a huge fan of the original. And if we had our video up and running, I have here. My Greatest Adventure, not related to My Chemical Romance. It's number 80 <laughs> from June of 1963 by Arnold Drake and Bruno Premiani. And that's the first issue of the Doom Patrol. And I'm a... One of my first books I talked about on this show was their final issue, 121, where they actually sacrificed themselves to save a little fishing village. They actually let the bad guys blow them to smithereens. Uh, we had Robot Man, Cliff Steele, Negative Man, Larry Trainer, who was, well, Cliff Steele was a uh, racing car driver who got hit, who got crushed in an accident. And the chief, Niles Calder, who appears in this issue as a DJ slash keyboard player who apparently <laughs> likes flies, saved him and put him in a robot body. Larry Trainer is a test pilot who, who flies through the radiation, Van Allen radiation belt and becomes Negative Man. And then there's a character, Rita Farr, movie actress, exposed to poisonous vapors from some cave while on a shoot, who becomes Elastigirl, whose powers are very much like Ms. Marvel. She can embiggen. Cool. And I, this, I, I was never a huge fan of what Grant Morrison did. I tried it and didn't get much out of it. I tried the Keith Giffen ones, tried the Byrne ones in between. This is so nuts. And yet, actually, because of the inclusion of some of these other characters, obviously, Mr. Way has done his research and looked back. And it's that old book twisted on its side, bent into a, uh, into a gyro, into a Mobius strip gyro. I don't know what's going on, but I want to read more of this. It was so entertaining and so weird that mm -hmm. pick it up and take the ride. Yeah. yeah. Gerard Way has got a really awesome way of being very lyrical in his uh, narratives and his dialogue and stuff like that, that there are times when whole passages or characters sound like they could be song lyrics. And that's kind of, uh, that appears in like Umbrella Academy, 
the Killjoys book that he did with Becky Cloonan. Oh, that book was awesome. Yeah, and I just I love I love that quality to his writing. I love that he brings that into his his comic book stuff. And uh, just a super, super talented dude. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Barbara. I was going to say, as, as the first book to come out from this young animal imprint, what do you guys think so far? Do you think this I mean, is going to be a good yeah, imprint? Do you, you know, do you have good feelings? I mean, it I has have, an energy about it that um, – it has an energy about it that, like, DC and Marvel as the big two don't necessarily have – there's a right. there's a vibe to it, a kind of experimental kind of edge to it that I really love, but it's set in these universes that I also really love. You know, it's kind of like when when Kieran Gillen and Jamie McElvey were doing Young Avengers. You know, it kind of had it, it has that vibe, and it yeah. kind of feels like right on the edge. You know, when they were doing that with Marvel, and I feel like what Young Animal and Gerard Way is going to be doing. Looking at the solicits and the kind of adverts for for the the other books. Um, like in the back of, of Doom Patrol, like they're so, so strange and 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 surreal and bizarre, and and I'm really excited for that kind of thing. You know, I really love when my comics do that and take advantage of the medium and take advantage of the color and take advantage of the sequencing. You know, we talk about Silver Surfer all the time. Bob talks about Silver Surfer all the time. You know, like that experimentation and and all of that. Like I feel like Young Animal is going to do that, and and that has me excited for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a different energy entirely than Vertigo, which are still good books, but this is different. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about Shade the Changing Girl. Yeah, that's yep. the one. Yeah, coming soon. Coming soon. Even on the cover alone, uh, I'm interested in that. I love the colors of that cover. But uh, yeah, I have all of, all of the young animal books are making it to uh, uh, at least a number one. For yeah. me. I'll, I'll try all of them. Yeah. Now, did anyone... Well, actually, Steve, you have this digitally... The the conventional cover of Doom Patrol number one isn't conventional at all. There's a peel away gyro on the front cover. Yep. Really? Yeah. They give yes. us both on the digital. They give you the one with the gyro on the front and then you turn the page and then it's the universe or whatever yep. inside. No, you, you can peel it away, but of course you're gonna wreck your book doing it. So it's like a sticker. But you it's a sticker. Nice. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a sticker. That's yes. Crazy. But but crazy good. All right, let's move on. Um, let's move on to Detective Comics. Oh, tears. Yes. Um, Joy, do you want to head this one up? Uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> yes. Detective Comics 940 is the uh, end of the first arc. I think it was seven issues. Is that true? Yes. Part seven, yeah. right? Which was mm -hmm. shocking when I opened that book. I was like, part seven, what? So Detective Comics has been barreling along with this, you know, uh, getting the team together and the big shocking reveal as to, to who was, was leading everything up. Uh, things come to a head and, and one of our heroes. Um, uh, spoiler spoiler warning. Let's do that. Spoiler warning. Yeah. There you go. Now you spoiler can just, just go right crazy now. on it. Yeah. And one of our heroes, uh, Tim Drake, uh, kind of takes the bullet. The sort many, of. many. Many bullets of the drones uh, to kind of uh, save the ta save Gotham, and and as he is doing that, I think I really what I really liked about this issue was the issue wasn't framed around like let's produce a climax to this battle between um, uh, what's 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 the the father's name Jake Kane Jacob Jake Kane and and uh, the the Bat Squad. It's more about 
let's have Tim Drake make this sacrifice. And literally everybody on the team is just barreling towards him, trying to like stop this from happening and, and hack in and, and stop all of this. So it, it became more about that. And that really lent a lot of weight to what, what uh, Tim was doing. Um, and if the book had ended there and with the aftermath of that with Steph and Batman and that beautiful, oh, beautiful scene gr- happens, yeah. the book had ended right there. I think I would have been totally awesome. I think the little epilogue on the end was a bit of a waste of that pathos that was earned in the book. I think I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I know what I know that they're trying to kind of allude to larger things happening in the universe and all of that stuff. But I just felt like what Tim does, how he does it, the way that he kind of fights off the first wave, and he says to Batman, like, I think I might have taken a few bullets. It's just hitting me now. And then the second wave comes and he just turns and sees them all. Like, there was so so much weight to that. Yeah. And that beautiful spread of, of uh, you know, the, that final attack it was just so – it just hit. And, I, you know, I don't know these characters. I haven't been reading Batman books. I don't read Detective. I've been reading these seven issues by James Tynan and um, it still hit me. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to the efficacy of the book. And then they had the epilogue where it's like, oh, no, wait. He's not dead. He's in this strange glass cell with this vague character. We don't know yeah. who he is. Like, never ha, mind. Ha, ha. <laughs> yeah, I needed yeah. to. I needed to take you off the board or whatever. So it kind of alludes to you know that larger thing that might have been in uh, you know uh, set up back in Infinity or whatever. What was it called? I don't know. Watch- Way back. Anyway, um, you know the Watchmen stuff, but. Uh, you know, it hit. It really did. For someone who's never read these characters, it really did hit. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. How'd you guys feel? Well, to me, I you wonder if they didn't want to end on a downer. That they, look, they changed the solicited cover to the printed cover by taking Tim Drake off of it. Oh, so they were hiding happened, it. Yeah. Yes, they were hiding until the last minute. So they were perhaps concerned about what the reaction would be. How many Robins can you kill? Eventually, without it become right, (laughs) without it becoming a thing, and so maybe they want to leave people in a happier place. Though we didn't really kill them, but it definitely undercuts that full page spread of Stephanie and Batman embracing. He's sad. He has a a frown on his face. It's he's being paternal the way he's been in this series. Frankly, assembling Mm -hmm. the team for the right reasons. It's a different Batman that we've been seeing, and I, I applaud. Uh, what James Tynan's been doing here. I'm still intrigued, except now we have... Night of the Monster Man! Yes! Yes! Uh, So now we we don't have these sort of moments. They'll be shortchanged, I'm sure, or at least shoehorned into it over the next month and a half or so. Yeah. Yeah. And that's too bad. Because if we remember the death of the last Robin, Damien, some of those reaction books were some of the best books of the year. Yeah, but you but you but they took the time to do those, you know, like exactly. and and our and our view was that he was gone, you know, like mm-hmm. so with this does that undercut even the potential for future books with you yes. know Steph Brown and everything that that she's obviously going to go through. And the beautiful the beautiful scene where she gives Batman the the note, the not the note, the uh, acceptance, acceptance, letter, acceptance letter. Right? Which is just such a powerful moment. But then you turn the page and you're like, oh, maybe he can still go when he comes back yeah. from wherever he is. <laughs> Y'all you stop know? being like, sad about it. Kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't need to read these books because I know he's he's okay. And, and we talk about that with comics all the time. I know that. But 
you don't do it in the same issue. <laughs> you know, the like, next page for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah. so uh. it's a little odd. What do you think, Steve? Uh, I got to admit that the letter thing completely didn't hit for me at all. Really? Um, I felt like, I mean, I guess I could have zoomed in using uh, the app and whatever, but I didn't really, in the moment, I didn't really grasp how that was such a a devastating thing. I, I get it was an acceptance letter to a school, mm-hmm. like an Ivy yeah, League man. university. Yeah. He was, but he's always modern. He was going to uh, yeah, leave I, the... the the streets. What? He was going to be educated. He's going to make a difference. Yeah. Go to Ray Palmer's college. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He's going to leave All the right. squad. He's going to give up being Robin to go be the inventor genius boy that he always was. All right. Because part of me feels um, like Batman doesn't really want this me? for anyone. Like he doesn't want this right. life for anyone else. And if they have right. the chance and the drive to get out of it, he wants to but support the, that. The, but the thing that th- th- this issue did so well was like. Batman says, like, he, he always had the fight in him. Mm-hmm. He was always going to be that hero. And then Steph Brown's like, uh, no. no, he wasn't. Like, he <laughs> wanted to go do this thing. And that, that just hits Batman so hard. Yeah. And that hits you so hard because you're like, fuck, Batman. <laughs> uh, I definitely think it would have been a bit more of a, a more powerful issue if they had ended the issue on that uh splash page of spoiler and batman yeah. uh you know in a in a loving embrace yeah. and then the next issue begins with that weird scene with that weird scene of like that blank panel followed by him kind of teleporting into this prison and then just and just go from there new arc yeah this is where he is yeah. um like i get it like this is the uh like the the sizzle at the end like we were talking about uh, season one of uh, Supergirl and spoilers if you haven't seen season one of Supergirl but something happens at the very 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 end of that last episode that it's tacked on to be like you know, you know next season on Supergirl we're going to reveal this little mystery of what she just did at the end of this episode and sometimes it yeah. works and sometimes it doesn't and uh, here I think that less is more and and that to really leave the reader like aghast at, at what they they just uh, read, that leaving it on that spoiler Batman page would have been the move, but mm-hmm. it's not my book. So yeah. you can you know next time we reread it, I think I may just stop there. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and also just a just a really quick point to make too is that you know we talk about death in comics a yeah. lot and how it doesn't mean anything and how oh he's not dead he'll just be back you know just wait a couple issues or whatever. And maybe this was Tynan's way of getting around that and being like, mm-hmm. instead of keeping you going for the next two weeks and, and being the whole, you know, Oh, he's not dead. And have that be so tired. Be like, I'm just going to tell you guys he's in this other place. And when we come back, we're going to start to uh, investigate that mystery. And that's where we're going at the end of this, you know, incredibly touching emotional beat that we have in this in this story that i'm crafting yeah yeah right on not to put words into the man's mouth but that's huh. just my interpretation hey it makes it. the most Still- sense to me yeah. yeah i mean think about it like it would have been a very different conversation right if the book had ended like this and we all came into this podcast and we were tears and oh my god and then two weeks from now we pick up detective again and we come back on a thing like yeah you know it turns out he was fine he was just teleported you know no big deal um 
I think this this saved us from a little bit of that of that character death fatigue, especially yeah. since we lost Damien. Uh, feels like not too long ago. I can't still, win. You can't win with comics. No, but I I think I still would have closed with the spoiler Batman image. It's definitely him, the more powerful come, thing. Right. Let him come back even before, but they don't know there was a series. It was a year and a half or so where two halves of the Claremont Byrne X Men didn't know the other half was dead. Classic, <laughs> right? It was that, like nineteen ninety two? It's classic. Yeah, it's way, way, way back. I think it's the eighties actually. Is it? Yeah. No, you're right. No, you're right. It is the nineties? You're it's right. Like ninety one or something. Right, so it's, it's like right before Paul, the reboot. Yeah, it's Claremont and Paul Smith, I guess, at that point, or is it uh, uh, Ramita? I don't know. It's the either, one, either way. Anyway, but, anyway, but it, it does work. Because you still have the feeling as the the characters talk amongst themselves about their missing teammates and what the team used to be, and you feel it even though you know something. Ending on that that full page shot, wow! Is it, whether they because they don't know it, it was still a it's kick in the stomach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great book overall. Speaking of death, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Re- reading the book when I got to that spread, I was like, oh, oh my god. Yeah. I wonder what, what Bobby's doing right now. And then I got yes. to the end of the book and I was like, ah, oh, never mind. He's probably fine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Bob, uh, on that theme of death, Superwoman, or as I like to call Super it, Superwoman's. <laughs> Superwoman's. It does say that on the cover. You think I, that's on purpose? I promise you. I think it's intentional. Okay. I'm putting, it, I'm put putting my headphones down. I can't, I can't listen. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, for some people who haven't seen it yet, the cover says Superwoman, and there's the S-Shield at the end of it. So you could read it as Superwoman's, <laughs> which is kind of what happened in issue one. Yeah, yeah. Where we, we we were solicited with this idea, and it's on the cover of a spoilers galore here, that this was a book about a superpowered Lois Lane, the Lois Lane of the New 52, if mm-hmm. I read this correctly. I'm still a little shaken yeah. by it. Yeah, yes. And... She acquires her powers at the death of, or the disintegration of the Clark of that universe. But those powers have also passed to Lana Lang. Mm-hmm. And so in a a big event at, at a new ship by Lex Luthor, he's got a gigantic aircraft carrier thingy that's going to be the be-all and end-all of world security. And he's got his own Superman armor, and he's going to be the new Superman. There's an attack, and the two superwomen, superwomans, save things, but there's something deadly below decks. And at the very end of the issue, there's this bizarre creature, pun intended. And Lois, the star of our book, is seemingly killed. Yeah. Okay, it's comics. So we're going to come back next issue, and things will be better. No, they're not. (laughs) No, they're not. And the cover is, uh, you know, Lois crawling up from uh, a morass of skulls and such. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's how comics work. No, it doesn't quite. And look, it is beautifully drawn and written. We have some interesting characters in that we have Steele involved, his daughter Natasha, and some really great moments with them, bonding with Lana, Lana, and. Uh, John Henry Irons, apparently, and when I wasn't paying attention, have been having something going on, which is great. Uh, we have a, a surprise villainous at the end, which is a lot of fun. 
but its Lois has disintegrated just like Clark. And I guess it's a way to you're talking about taking people off the board from the old universe, and maybe that's what's here. Ooh. But I'm big fan of, of, of Phil Jimenez. Loved his Wonder Woman. Loved the work he's done since in and out of comics as a as an activist and what what he writes and posts online and all over the place. Articles he writes. I wanted so much that that Lois Lane would have a book of her own and powers of her own for however long it would last as something other than Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. As with Marguerite Bennett's one shot from a couple of years ago that was so great. Wow, let's give her a a forum. And I feel bait and switched. (laughs) Literally. Everybody does, yeah. Right, I bought a book because I wanted it to be one thing and it may end up being that thing. But with someone else now, yeah, this is this is a once a month book, so it's it's a little less painful for me to go an issue or two more than this, you know. But I'm not sure I want to. I feel kind of betrayed. What's everyone else coming at this like? Well, I feel like they can't get rid of Lois. I feel like she's going to come back and, and come back in full. Like Lana's going to find a way, and we're going to have two superwomen. <sighs> I hope so. I want it. I'm, I'm going to like just think it into being. I, I trust I Bill Jimenez. He, he cannot let me down here. I, I said that after the first issue. You know, we, we have the, the Irons building Lana and Insect Queen armor, which goes back to the, the 50s when they did that tour. She was the Insect Queen for a while. And again, he's such a great writer and artist. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. But I'm crossing my fingers and both hands and toes and everything else. Yeah. I'm just going to step back here and be like, so we were just talking about Detective and how we were like, we can't believe they didn't make that death last the full issue. Anywhere. And here we're like, why did they make Lois Lane dead? <laughs> why did they bring her back on the issue too? You know, I just think that's so funny. Because um, it's Lois. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. with you. I'm with you guys. I feel like, um, I don't know. I, I like Lana and and – uh, I've liked her the last two issues. I think she's a really interesting character, yes. and I like seeing her be Superwoman. Uh, but there was something about Lois that was just really there's something not, not even about Lois, but there was something about the two of them together in that yeah. first issue that I really liked. And mm-hmm. I think I'm with you that in maybe by issue four or five, we'll have them back together. I will say this though, that each of these issues, but two especially, even more so than one super dense yes like yes so many words and pictures and panels and everything is just crazy to me like like usually i'll read a book in what 10 15 minutes let's say yeah uh, maybe less depending on if it, you know bendis wrote it or something um but uh um but there's there's this issue took me like 20 minutes to just right. like get through 20, 25 minutes just to like pour over and read all the words. Um, and I had to then do research after and look up characters too. Like yeah. in that sense, yeah, you're getting your two ninety nine worth. And, and if you want to stick it out and, and are willing to put in that time, I, I think, I, uh, I think it's going to pay off really well. Um, but yeah, I think that switch thing is totally valid. Yeah. I, I want it desperately to be good and I'll hang in, but Phil, you're on notice. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, on the show notice. and explain this to us. Yes, yes, that please. Would be good. I think he's at New York Comic Con. Let's see if we can't make that work. 
I, I'm just scrolling through the sort of the middle pages. There are about seven or eight pages in a row that are on average 12 panels a page. Yeah, man. Each page of which has more words on it than that first Black Widow issue. Yes. And I'm not denigrating the Black Widow issue. That was done well with no words. But there's a novel in this comic book. Yeah. yeah. Bill Jimenez is definitely uh, 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 that has that old school flair to him, yeah. you know, in the best way possible. Yeah. Because yeah, all the words are necessary. Yeah. yeah. Great writer. Great artist. Okay. I wonder if Steve has hopped back on after that. Hey, episode. Steve. I can hear you. Okay, good. Okay. Because <laughs> we're about to talk about Wonder Woman. Number, oh, okay. Number six. Do we have to. Yes, we have to, Jow. Wait. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love Wonder Woman. This issue was amazing. There were animals in it. Yes, there were. <laughs> Which, you know, we, we've seen the cover for it um, a couple months ago. And I thought it was Sorry. just a reference to her ability to talk to animals. Nope, not a reference. No, <laughs> it is so much more than that. And it made me so happy. And. Um, so this is the issue where she comes to America. She delivers Steve. They arrive on a beach. He's like flipping out trying to get a phone and she's just looking glorious. And, you know, there's a lot of rigmarole going with a uh, missing uh, Air Force pilot. Where have you been? Who is this person? Is she a threat to us? And putting her in a cell, taking the mugshot photo. But it all had a happy ending to it. Um, Bob, what were your thoughts on it? Well, it is absolutely glorious. It is from small moments, sort of as the plane lands on a beach, we see how the invisible plane works. Yes. It's invisible. You open the door and you can see inside. Well, yeah, it's not, you know, as much as we all love Linda Carter, she didn't, she didn't sit in midair and fly through the air. She was invisible <laughs> inside the plane. <laughs> Come on, use some common sense, folks. The fear here and there in Diana's face as these people are surrounding her, the language barrier that she and Steve can share certain things because of their bond that's already established. The the nature of they describe her being an Amazon that she's six foot two. Mm-hmm. And you see her in, in all her regalness within this book. The, the marriage of words and art are spectacular. The emotion, Steve going to his partner's home, oh, sing yeah. a lullaby to to the daughter and the mom saying, well, she knows, right? She she understands he's gone. Yeah. We, we check in with, with Barbara Ann Minerva. We need someone who can actually speak whatever language it is <laughs> Diana is. And their first expert, Dr. Perez. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, 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 just lovely. The animals, should we spoil this? Yeah, yeah, we're all so okay. happy about it. We have to talk about it because it changes things. Go ahead, then. You, you, you jump on this part of it, yeah, so, Mara. Go. So what we've, what we've seen in the past with different types of origin stories for Wonder Woman is that she's been blessed by the gods upon birth. That was in Perez's origin. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen that in uh, different types of stuff. And there were, there were some um, versions, like Marston's is not clear on whether or not she was actually blessed by gods and goddesses. Um, it's implied that she just has powers from Amazon training. So what this issue does is presents the the blessing of the powers as something she's earned, much like what we saw in Legend of Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. where it's something that you've come so far away from home, you have a mission. At this time, we're coming to you to give you above and beyond what you've earned as an Amazon. 
mm. and they come in the form of animals. And I, I sit there and I look at the, the picture of all the animals and try to figure out which god or goddess is which. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm guessing Artemis is the deer. Because the hunt. Yes. the deer was Harry Potter. No, it's not Patronus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. And uh, I'm, I don't know if the peacock is Hera or Aphrodite. I would think Aphrodite for beauty. Yeah, yeah. Um, the owl, of course, is Athena. Hephaestus is the mouse. And Hermes is the Hilarious. tortoise. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, okay, but well, the eagle could be Hermes. Could well, could be. I think she said something about Hermes coming as a tortoise, and she was laughing about it. Oh, yes, that's right, yes. She thought right. it was hilarious, which she's not wrong. It is hilarious. Yes. <laughs> um, but it was just kind of interesting, like, how she was so blown away by this interaction and how memorable it is and how much she wants to share it with somebody, but nobody quite understands what she's talking about or that mm. she's crazy. Whereas if she had gone to her mother on the mascara, her mother would have been like, like let's break out the good wine. This is a great... The great <laughs> yeah let's bring out the good wine <laughs> i don't know what they drink over there <laughs> lots of wine probably but i liked i liked this interpretation i like this idea that she earned the right to go to america based on just her and then was was recognized as someone who's going to change the world and was given those additional gifts yeah as we spoke to greg rucka years back on our roundtable episode mm-hmm. he's certainly a student of the character and in i think in this instance given free reign as opposed to when he worked on the book before where there was a lot of stuff going on yeah. a lot of politics this is i get a chance to reset this and it, it's not cafeteria catholicism he's not picking and choosing randomly things he likes mm-hmm. it's things that marry together Right. And that idea of the training so you can see as why Denny O'Neill wanted her to not have her Amazon powers to be a woman of her own devices. Right, right. Yes, that's still there. But now the gods are involved, too. And the story with her mom is the is the right way. And as we, I think as the stories coalesce this and lies moving forward. We're going to have a, a Wonder Woman origin for the ages that they'll please old Everyone. farts like me who want <laughs> what it was and as well as now the the Perez people and the mm-hmm. Jimenez people and the Byrne people and every, Simons and everybody else it's all and the Azarello people maybe yes I, I think, I think some of those will be Wonder happy Woman too. and I love it yeah. you know yeah, yeah. Too. Uh, Steve what did you think uh, well I mean you've all said so much already but I particularly liked the kind of the language barrier yes. aspects yes. and and breaking that all down I thought was really uh, some nice moments in there. Uh, we're talking spoilers. That moment at the very end when they're kind of debating like the legitness of <laughs> Wonder Woman and she's trying to get their attention and she just rips the entire like system of bars that are keeping her incarcerated, yeah. get, letting them know, be like, you know, I don't really need to be here. <laughs> like I, you, know, you kept me in a cell overnight, and now I'm telling you about my animal friends, and you don't want to listen up. So I'm going to do this thing, and maybe I can get your attention. Um, and I just it's a it's a fun moment on top of all these other really great ones. Uh, I mean, we say it all the time. The book is just 
it continues to be incredible and mm-hmm. and pull from so many different eras and so many different aspects of the character to make it all just new in some way. Like I haven't read the amount of Wonder Woman that uh, that you or, or Bob have read, but this feels like a fresh approach to me. Like Bob had said, taking the uh, some of the best elements and not just choosing what you like and don't like, but taking aspects of the of the character that are important and changing it ever so slightly to have it line up with the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just a hell of a I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of the best Wonder Woman books that there has ever been. Yeah. Ever, ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I and love, oh, my God. I love. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When when they're going through, I like the how the the jet dissolves, and they're trying to figure <laughs> that out. Uh, and the moment where she is get, kind of being put through the system, and the cop is taking the lineup shot, and he gets in and takes a selfie yes. uh, with her. And then that that photograph ends up being the photograph that Steve then carries with him. Yeah, uh, I thought was really sweet. And it's like it's like little things like that. Yeah, little great Edda moments cool, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Speaking like a of cool, Steve, natural way. Oh, go ahead. Naked Steve in this issue yeah. showing up. I was like, Nic- Nicholas Scott must have been like, I'm gonna put some Naked Steve in here, and and like, just so blatantly, just like abs and like muscly ripped legs. I was like, nice. Dang. Just throw that in there. Yeah, thank you, Miss Scott. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciate that one. So now the the next issue in this bit. Mm-hmm is a special issue about the cheetah. Oh. Yeah. Issue 8 with a guest artist, Bill Quee Evely, who did one of the Shaft miniseries with David F. Walker. Okay. And did one of the Avengers miniseries for Boom, the TV Avengers, Steve and Mrs. Peel. And she is perfectly suited for this. She is absolutely spot on with subtle facial expressions and body language and so it's going to fit right into this so anyone who's oh it's not nicholas scott don't be no like one that. at this point is nicholas scott but you know what miss everly is going to rock this story that's all i'm going to tell you nice From someone who's looked their work and how it's grown it's going to be great good uh joey steve did you guys want to talk about ghosts hell yeah yeah <laughs> steve you want to you want to take that Sure, sure. Uh, let me just put down my strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say the title while he's putting down his strawberries. So, so we read um, Ghosts by Raina Telgemeier, who, who did Smile and uh, Sisters drama. Uh, and Drama, right? Uh, for Scholastic, put this book out. Um, it was real cheap on Comixology last week, which was a shock to me. Six ninety nine, which is awesome to see. Um, but it's a great book. Steve will tell you all about what it's about. Sure. So it's about uh, two sisters who are uh, on the move with their parents. Kat and her kid sister Maya are moving to the mysterious northern California town of Bahia de la Luna. Mm. And uh, while exploring their new surroundings, the girls meet a friendly local boy by the name of Carlos, uh, who warns them that the town plays host to a population of ghosts who live uh, peaceably among the people. Kat does not believe Carlos. She says that he's full of it and for Maya not to listen to him. Maya, on the other hand, is very curious about the prospect of ghosts uh, living in her town and for a very good reason. Maya is uh, 
Kat's kid sister, she has cystic fibrosis. Uh, for those of you who don't know what cystic fibrosis is, it is a defective gene causing uh, that causes a thick buildup of mucus in the lungs, pancreas, and other organs. Uh, in the lungs, the mucus clogs the airways and traps bacteria, leading to infections, extensive lung damage, and eventually respiratory failure. Uh, in the pancreas, the mucus prevents the release of digestive enzymes that allow the body to break down food and absorb vital nutrients. Uh, it's a very uh, degenerative and dangerous and deadly disease for somebody to contract it so young. Uh, in Maya's case, Maya is kind of this happy-go-lucky girl who loves to skip around, loves to go outside and run around, loves to sing, and loves to get into mischief. However, when she gets overexcited, her sickness uh, and condition kind of takes a hold and reminds her of what her situation is and is kind of beating the idea of her own uh, mortality into her every time that she's just trying to be a child. So her whole thing with living in uh, Bahia de la Luna is that she wants to speak with the ghosts. She wants to know if there are child ghosts. What is it like to die? Does it hurt? So do you get to go to a better place? Is there life after death? These are questions that she has. And Kat, being the older loving sister that she is, is trying to protect Maya uh, from the ghosts and from having these conversations because she doesn't want to even really address the idea of her sister ever leaving her. Right. And uh, what you have here is Raina Talgemeyer doing it again if you have not read smile or sisters or drama or even some of her uh babysitters club books she has this really really fun way of creating these characters with a lot of depth and a lot of heart and particularly in ghosts uh she does the artwork but we have uh um brandon lamb on colors now I've read Sisters, I've read uh, Smile, and I've read Drama. And Ghosts is some, like, we talk about creators going on to the next level of their own talents. Ghosts is that next level book for Raina Talgemeier, uh, both in terms of character development and in her art. There is a heavy uh, Dila de los Huertos vibe in this book. Uh, this town recognizes that holiday in a really big way. And Reina's art just explodes uh, about three quarters of the way through this book, uh, made all the better by Brendan's uh, colors. Just a visual feast for, for anybody who is a fan of her art. This is some really top-notch stuff. And uh, very compelling, very touching, and uh, sad, but not, not in a way that uh not in ways that you would expect yeah so. i mean i think part of it too is like you you said this before steve my uh, the way the book is about cat the book is about cat and it kind of starts with cat um being a little upset that that the family has to move up to to this new place in northern california from where she you know had friends and she was in middle school and she had a whole life there and the early part of the book is you know her texting with those old friends and and kind of being a little bit mournful of that old life but understanding that they had to move for the health of of maya um from that point on though i think the book is told 
from Kat's perspective, especially in the context of her wanting to protect Maya. Maya just being this totally spunky, wonderful character, probably one of the best characters I've read all year. She's so um, authentic, and and how she views the, her her condition is she she the way she talks about like I have a I need this breathing tube and I need this um to for 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 the extra nutrients and things and it's almost like a it's just a part of her and and she she doesn't she doesn't uh cry about these things whereas cat i think does kind of feel um sad for her sister in in some ways and and it feels almost guilty that she feels sad so when um you know she finds out that the the ghosts the ghosts have to take some of your breath Obviously, she doesn't want her sister, who has this respiratory condition, to give up any of her breath. So that protection comes through. Mm-hmm. And you realize by the end of the book that all of that comes down to the fear of losing losing Maya. Um, and it, it, that arc of that narrative hits so hard. You think it's a book about ghosts and you think it's a book about two sisters. But then what it actually comes down to is a, is a story about – family and and the the danger of of losing that family um well not the danger the inevitability of losing that family and and what happens after um and you know cat starts off the book you know when carlos says oh it's a it's a this is a ghost town um she is like oh no there aren't ghosts and you think she's just afraid of ghosts but what she's really afraid of is when when maya passes that's what she's really afraid of and the way that that Tagemeyer gets us there is some of the most effective storytelling um, and concise storytelling that I've read all year. Um, the book is 200 and what, Steve, like 250, 260. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it took me a half an hour to just blast through that. Raina Tagemeyer. Yeah. has a, such an effective way of using the images, using the words that she includes. It's so, well crafted that it really yes. does hit and and you know the book can be read by anyone which is wonderful yeah, yeah all uh, ages completely yeah definitely it's it's uh the, when i saw it on the on the new releases and i thought about smile and i thought about drama i was like oh my god i can't believe this is happening right now <laughs> so you know i just bought it and i am so glad that i did i had uh oh i'm sorry joey go ahead no, i'm done um, I had actually pre-ordered the book, I think, like four or five months ago uh, and got it for a song, a f- physical copy off of Amazon. And uh, I was in Canada and we went to Chapters, which is the the equivalent over there to uh, like a Barnes and Noble. And I saw it on the shelf mm. and I was like, oh, my God, like, oh, I, I had to, to just peel myself away from buying it right then and there knowing that when i got home that my copy would be waiting for me in the in the my mail pile and uh yeah reina telgemeier she is just a a a incredible incredible talent that that does these all ages books that are so personal and so beautiful and i think really this might even be my favorite one of of the ones that i've read it's definitely one of the most not mature is the wrong word to use, but the most kind of um, reflective of her evolution as an artist. Mm-hmm. I think um, you like that. That was yeah, good. I did. Right? I do like that. That was, um, that was awesome. And I, I think another part of it that I really enjoyed was that it was very, it was culturally authentic um, in a way. The way that it incorporates 
the Dia de los Muertos stories, the way that it incorporates, you know, the way that Kat and Maya interact with her mother, uh, with their mother about, you know, their abuela and, you know, uh, the ofrendas and the food and, and all of that stuff. And then they look to Carlos's family next door and they're like, oh, we don't really have that connection to our culture that Carlos's family does. And that's a part of this book, too. And, and that Reina Talgemeyer is able to weave in all of these elements um, again, just kind of speaks to, to that expertise. Mm-hmm. Great book. And again, it's not one of these big DC Marvel books that we talk about every week, right? It's something different and, and mm-hmm. out there. And that, again, that could be read by anybody. Yeah. I'm hoping I, I smell my, a nomination. <laughs> Go ahead. Say, I'm hoping my comic grant money comes in. I, I applied for like $4,000 more dollars, um, for, Damn, girl. for comic money for a school. And if, if it comes through, that's one that's going on the list. Because I do have kids that love drama, sisters, and smile. So I think Ghost is right up their alley. Yeah. So. Amen. All right. Any any final thoughts for this week? Any surprise announcements, uh, Bob? Surprise, <laughs> oh. surprise announcements? Well, uh, there was a – I don't know if anyone here are fans or were fans of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Okay. Back when it was on, on Cartoon Network, the Adult Swim – when that first began, yeah, because yep. uh, an animator and voice actor named C. Martin Croker passed away this week, who played the characters of Zorak and Moltar, as well as being one of the chief writers and animators on that show. And so, as someone who was a big fan of this goofy program I discovered at 1130s on Friday nights, why are they using this old cartoon character as the host of a talk show <laughs> with, with his... Chief villains as his Doc Severinsen and Ed McMahon, and it was just bizarre and weird. And in, in its own way, over there on uh, on, on Turner, they, they created this whole new thing that began. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. wow, adult cartoons late at night? I mean, The Simpsons were around wherever. This was very edgy, very different. It became sort of like batman was in the 60s where celebrities vied to get on to be a guest with space ghosts and all sorts of people whether it was hulk hogan or weird al yankovic or lenny and squiggy they all seem to find their way on to space ghosts one way or another and so see yeah see martin croker passed this week so i've been doing all sorts of space ghost watching this yeah. week uh, kind of nice. feel like watching it now i've seen a couple episodes yeah. i think i might have to go back it's pretty funny stuff you, you want to watch the episode with Banjo. Oh, okay. I won't say too much. It's, yeah, okay. it's a character named Banjo. All right. I'll have to look for that. Yep. Uh, Steve, uh, were you going to say something? Yeah, okay. I actually just wanted to uh, make people aware and remind them that the second episode of the Top Shelf Comic Book Club is now available uh, through Talking Comics. If you subscribe to the special uh, edition feed on the... Uh, iTunes, you can find it, or just go onto the website and look for the Joe the Barbarian book club. We had an absolute blast talking about that book. It's like two hours, two and a half hours long, just drinking and laughing, and and it was such a such a good time. And uh, I just want to encourage people to listen to it because we put a we put a lot of uh, thought and a lot of uh, heart into mm-hmm. making that podcast, and it was just a ton of fun. And it'll also help you to hear a couple of uh, other voices that are on the website between Melissa and, and Bronwyn being a part of that. And uh, we shared a couple of cool stories about uh, Bob and Melissa going to 
the Star Trek convention, and Bronwyn got to tell her own version of our engagement story, which was a lot of fun to hear. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was a great show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Always, Bob. Okay, so that's going to be it for this week's Talking Comics. And as always, you can send us comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. And we're also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Uh, if you go to talkingcomicbooks.com, you'll see all of our different podcasts and our um, new reviewers and the stuff that they've been putting out, all sorts of different things there. It's really growing. There's a lot of stuff going on every day. Um, we have the, the D&D podcast, which Bobby is real excited about. And he, he's like totally into it. So I'm, I'm happy to hear about that. Um, so, uh, Steve, where can listeners find you? Uh, you could find me on Twitter or Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I only do it for you, Joey. I did it the one time I doomed myself. Yeah. Uh, at dead underscore anchorus. And Joey? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joey Bergino. Bob? I've started to go into AOL chat rooms. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> For real? Oh uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm still at Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter. Oh, <laughs> I'm just blown away by that. Um, I'm on Twitter at Megamaramon. So, for Bob. Good evening, all. Steve. So hungry. And Joey. Yes. I'm Mara Wood. Until next time, to be continued. <laughs>